Hello, and welcome to Marathon Swim Stories, where we connect with marathon swimmers around the world to find out how they got started, what makes them tick, and why they keep going. It's where we explore the human side of the superhuman feats of endurance swimmers, the connections that we have with each other, our support crew, and the waters we cross. If you've ever stood at the edge of a body of water and wondered what it would be like to swim to the other side, you're in good company. I'm Shannon Keegan, marathon swimmer, water relationship coach, and founder of Intrepid Water, where I virtually teach swimming freedom. Freedom to get started, shed the confines of the pool, or your preconceived notions of what's possible. Find out more at intrepidwater.com. Amy Inyan doesn't remember what possessed her to sign up for her first 10K, which she confidently completed in a wetsuit. But she does remember showing up to swim Windermere and discovering non-wetsuited swimmers gladly jumping in to 16-degree water. Suddenly, her eyes were open to the world of marathon swimming, her channel rules. In preparation for the English Channel, Amy tackled the swim from Jersey to France, briefly holding the women's speed record, even if it was only for a few weeks. Her pioneering spirit kicked in, and Amy went on to become the first person to swim from Guernsey to France. I was surprised to realize that Amy has only been marathon swimming since 2020 and enjoyed talking with her about her well-rounded approach to training. Among other things, we talk about trusting your training, but ultimately trusting yourself. How water polo skills transfer well to marathon swimming and the value of identifying your weaknesses and building them into your training plan. I hope you enjoy Amy's story. Amy! (laughs) Hi there. (laughs) Lovely to meet you. We've been exchanging some emails and I'm so excited. Please, please tell me your, your swimming story. Oh, Shannon, thank you so much for having me today. So my swimming story, I mean, the water and swimming in kind of different forms has been like this continuous thread through my life. My earliest memories are of me and my dad and my younger sister in the water. I don't remember learning to swim. I just remember being a child in the water my parents put me and my sister through swimming lessons as kids because um, they were very keen sailors. So obviously, just really important to have those life skills around the water. But we loved it. We absolutely loved it. So I, I did swimming club as a child. I was never fast, I would say. I was never good. I just enjoyed it. <laughs> I would swim at school and I'd, I was very solidly middle of the pack. I'm, I'm very, very tall. Um, I'm about six foot tall. I was a very, very tall child. So tall enough to be middle of the pack, but not, <laughs> not quite good enough at swimming to make the most of that. And then when I hit kind of year seven, so that's about age 12, I guess, I found water polo. A PE teacher at school kind of introduced me and that was just it for like the next kind of 15 years for me. 
it was a real focus I just I loved it it was my whole life so I did water polo through school kind of played for a a town club went to university played water polo there I was um, the captain of the first team I did a lot of coaching a lot of refereeing I kind of worked my way up did a little bit of time on the Great Britain youth development squad never really went anywhere because everyone else was a lot faster than me I was so like <laughs> semi-intelligently uh very accidentally and um, broke my neck when I was 18 like oh. a really minor one I could walk the entire time okay. I was absolutely fine but you know at 18 and everyone else progresses while you sit there in a neck brace not my finest moment was that a good story, how you broke your neck? No, no, no. It was, really <laughs> stu- no, um, it was the first day after I finished my A-levels. I was on holiday with friends. I walked into the sea in the Mediterranean, dived under, and I just hit the floor. Oh, nothing, wow. Nothing well, that is an interesting little piece <laughs> of your open water story, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, just kind of playing in the waves at that point. Yeah, so I mean, even... So like, like while my life was water polo, like I did a lot of swimming, but it it was just for fitness. I didn't, I didn't really enjoy it. I did a lot of, not even a lot. I'd do maybe 10, 10K if max lap swimming a week, just for the fitness for water polo to try and be better. Yeah, I was kind of trying to think back and trying to figure out where, I crossed over from water polo to kind of open water and longer distance. And it was definitely distance and then open water for me. I've always kind of liked pushing myself, kind of see what I can do, see what my body can do, see what I'm capable of. So I remember in 2014, while I was still at university, I just had this bright idea. I was like, I'm going to do a 5K. And I don't even really remember open water being something I was aware of at that point so I just did it in the pool I just I just went and counted laps in the pool I was like yeah 5k this is fun this is great and then yeah my kind of open water journey started about three years after university I was still playing a lot of water polo and what's really funny is I can't remember what made me sign up for my first open water race? Which is really funny listening to your podcast so much because everyone seems to have these like come towards the light moments or they have that friend that, the friend, that yeah, talks the them into a really terrible common. idea. <laughs> the peer pressure, yes. I just signed up to a 10K. I don't remember why. I can only assume that it was another one of my like other people do marathons. I don't want to run a marathon. That seems like a terrible idea. So let's swim one. So I signed up to a 10K. I was like, right, okay, how do we? I didn't know any open water swimmers. I hadn't come across any long distance swimmers. I was like, right, how do we sign to this? Like, away she goes to Google. And there was a swimming lake in my local area that was run by the local triathlon squad. So I started doing a whole load of training with them. So I did a, a 5K wetsuit 10k my first 10k wetsuit just absolutely loved it and each race I got to the end of it and I was like well that was fun (laughs) but could I do more 
And then I'd scurry home and go sign up for the next race. So 2018, that was kind of a set of working up to 10K. I went home after that 10K. I was like absolutely hooked, signed straight up for Windermere. <laughs> so did a couple more 10Ks in the run up to that. And again, I was only training with this triathlon group. So I, again, wasn't really aware of the open water swimming community and, and channel rules and all this other community that exists outside that sphere. So I did Windermere in a wetsuit. That's where the crossover happened because I very clearly remember turning up for the race and the BLDSA Windermere was on at the same time, um, the British Long Distance Swimming. And there was like, they'd taken the temperature and the temperature was like 16 and a half degrees, which I thought was Baltic, absolutely freezing. And there were these people going in in just their swimming costumes. I was standing on the edge of the lake like, are you, are you kidding? <laughs> but yeah, so I, I did Windermere. I came third. I did note as I started to do longer distances, I started to place in the oh, races. Yeah. That's <laughs> what I, I started to notice. So the 5K, not in contention. The 10K came third out of a relatively small field but who's counting uh, Windermere came third it was the same story I went home from Windermere I was like okay that was fun let's do the English channel <laughs> and I just just signed straight up for it and like and that's I guess kind of that's where I started to discover the open water swimming community because then you start asking the questions like how do I do this how do I train for it how do you acclimatize to the cold someone pointed me in the direction of doing Jersey to France as the kind of stepping stone from Windermere to the channel. And yeah, I did, did Jersey to France. It was amazing. One of my absolute favorite swims. And I kind of just been trying to push and trying to see what I can do since then, really. So there wasn't any like growing up English channel stories of I don't know that you were like, oh, I want to do that someday. It was just all, what took going to Windermere. <laughs> yeah, it was. I don't even really remember it being on my radar. No, I had a, a very good friend, a very, very sporty friend from university. And she had mentioned it. She was, she'd always said, you know, one day she'd want to swim the English channel, maybe as a relay, maybe as a solo and I was like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, sure, that sounds, that sounds awful. <laughs> like, it didn't even flicker a bit of curiosity in my head. She would say that, I'd be like, yeah, that's nice for you. I'll contemplate doing a relay with you if it's, like, in the middle of August and it's really nice weather, okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, I wasn't even really aware of it. That That's what I look back on. I find the weirdest thing now. I wasn't aware of any of it until I got to Windermere and saw these people in their swimming costumes and their speedos. What was the attraction? To see if I could do it. Literally nothing more than that. Just, well, these people are doing it. I wonder if I can do it. You had that bone in your body. I feel like it's like a part that some people have and some people don't where they're just like, oh, I could do that if they can do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Just to see, just try, just like see if I can find that point at what I can't do it. 
I don't think I've found that yet. Aha. Uh-huh. So tell us a little bit about some story from Jersey to France. What was that like? So Jersey to France was my first kind of real channel solo swim. It was beautifully warm. It was, where did we go? August. Um, the water was about 18 and a half degrees. I have absolutely no idea what that is in Fahrenheit. I ended up having to swim overnight for the water to be calmer, which I had not trained at all. <laughs> not very clever, but there was loads of phosphorescence in the water. So I'd put my hand in and I just spent the entire six and a half hours like sparkly, sparkly, sparkly. It was, yeah, it was honestly such a wonderful introduction to the sport because it, it couldn't have gone better. It was a still night. I felt strong. All of my feeding went well. I had my mum on on the boat to crew for me. You know, it was warm phosphorescence in the water. And then I ended up getting the second fastest women's time for that course. I held it for about like three, four weeks. And then um, a professional (laughs) swimmer who was training up for the Ocean 7 went and did it and blew our times (laughs) out the water by like three hours. She was incredible. (laughs) So did you finish during uh, daylight? Did you, were you out there for the sunrise? Not quite. Um, I finished at about 6.30 in the morning, but it was really cloudy. So the sun had started to come up. It, I guess it was light, but it was more like a kind of misty morning type of light. You know, it's like this milestone thing, swimming to the light. But it sounds like you were having a great time <laughs> watching the beautiful yeah, I mean, sea. <laughs> but you didn't even finish. get to like see anything, right? Because <laughs> no. black, except for the phosphorescence, which is pretty, pretty remarkable. Much. But then I think for me, that was that was my favorite part of the swim was the middle and doing it. I've noticed this a lot over all of the swims I've done is I get to the end and I feel really lonely swimming to the end by myself you know that that one point where where the boat stops and all your crews on board saying go on go on swim swim into the beach swim into the beach you know we'll be white right here from 800 meters out waving at you and sometimes I just don't want to go I don't want to leave the boat you've done the whole swim with the boat the end is just a tick box yeah, it wasn't my favorite part of the swim, the ending. I think I feel quite lonely on the shore there. Yeah, it's, an, it's a very interesting part about our sport, you know, that you that's commonly how you finish. Just you, like somebody's on a boat, you're like, <laughs> you're like way far away. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, yeah, by yourself on a beach. <laughs> And then you're like, oh, and I have to swim back. I, I very much I enjoy, I enjoy that companionship of the boat, too. I know what you mean. So then you did English Channel. Was that next? Um, no, actually. So after Jersey to France, I already had the English Channel booked. I think this is, this is where I made my mistake because I've now got this thing of like of going home and being like, right, okay, what am what am I booking next? <laughs> what shall I put this manic energy into? So I got home after Jersey to France and I was kind of thinking like, okay, so I was 
second fastest but you know I don't I really don't feel like I could have gone any faster and Jersey to France is quite a small section of people so I was like okay I don't think I can break a speed record on anything so let's try and be first to do something so that's when I started kind of hunting through long swims database and I was like I was and hunting through different courses and different places you could swim and trying to figure out something that I could pioneer. And then kind of, I guess, semi-luckily, conveniently, I ended up going with the same pilot who did my Jersey to France swim, who does a whole lot of the Channel Islands swims around that area. And I booked in with him to try and do Guernsey to France, which was another island in the Channel Islands. It's um, a bit further away from France. So it was about kind of 35 miles straight line as opposed to Jersey to France, which is about 19 miles. And one person had attempted it before, Adrian Sachet, who's incredibly experienced, incredibly decorated Ocean 7 swimmer from Guernsey. And a relay team of six people had done it before. Um, so I was like, right, okay, so the, so the precedent's there and the attempts have been there. And I wanted to try and be the first. So I, I signed up for it. And the pilot had said that there was a couple of people kind of racing to try and be the first, to try and get that flag in the ground. So I ended up taking a or booking in for a tide right at the beginning of June, which was going to be cold. It was going to be cold. It's not quite the beginning of like the English Channel season, but cold enough. And yeah, that that ended up being my next swim. So Guernsey to France, it was 13, 13 degrees at the start, 14 at the finish, which I did look this up. That's about 55 Fahrenheit. And it it took me 16 hours and it it was a tough swim. It was a really, really kind of debriefing with my crew afterwards. There was a whole lot of counter currents and tides and things holding me back, which I just wasn't even aware of. They'd done the most amazing job of keeping that from me in the water just like Um, keep going Amy keep going (laughs) yeah like no you're definitely making progress just keep going (laughs) no you're not going backwards it's fine just just keep swimming so yeah 16 hours um that was beginning of June 2021 and that was my kind of course first for that course how did you prepare for that cold I mean that's chilly 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 um Kind of a, I prepared for the cold in doing all of my training because we were in lockdown in the UK for pretty much the entire time up until about three weeks before I flew out to the Channel Islands. So I did all of my training in a paddling pool on a tether in my back garden. I did have a heater for it. I could get it up to about like... 11 10 11 degrees but most of the time it hovered at about seven or eight so I was you know head to toe neoprene gloves boots double hats trying to get the some movement in yeah just anything I by the time I got to Guernsey the longest swim 
I had ma- the longest training swim I'd managed to do was three lots of one hour with half an hour break in between the first two hours where I went and sat in a dressing gown in my car because you weren't allowed to stay in the swimming pool changing rooms. And then two hours while I drove between swimming pools for hours two and hours three. And that was the longest I'd done. So the rest was just in my paddling pool. Wow. Did you know that there's more to swimming than just putting one arm in front of the other? You've developed a series of habits over your time in the water. How are those habits serving you? If you'd like to swim faster, but feel like nothing you do in your training helps, or perhaps you're inspired to swim further, but it doesn't seem possible, let me know. You are biologically wired for change, but you can't do the same thing that you've always done. It's time for something different. I've created a six-week program to rewire your brain to swim freestyle efficiently. Suitable for any level of swimmer. Check out intrepidwater.com to find out more about my introduction to freestyle fundamentals, self-paced, and group coaching programs. Or email me for details. Shannon at intrepidwater.com to do the math and like make that happen is its own level of commitment and endurance that gets put to the test when you're in the channel. You're like, oh, but I did this thing. I worked so hard to make these one hour swims come together and I drove between them. I think it's interesting to me. I, I guess I do that a lot with my clients as I talk to them about their, to me personally, it's not all about doing all the, the distance leading up to the distance. It's feeling really comfortable and trusting yourself that you'll be able to do it and knowing that you've got some terrestrial-based endurance that you apply because you're comfortable and knowledgeable in your body and in your stroke in the water. Anyway, that's just my little two cents on that. I'm not surprised you made 16 hours because (laughs) you're a lifelong swimmer, you know? You've got a lot of history there. (laughs) But it's it's all, it kind of comes back to, I hear it a lot and I say it to myself a lot, is just trusting your training is... Whatever it was. Exactly. Exactly. It's just trusting in your training, trusting in the work you've put in, the maths and the car journeys that have got you there and trusting in what you've trained your body to be able to do. Yeah. Yeah. And all of that trust, it's really just about yourself, right? It's trusting yourself and your crew. I think it's probably the two main things you kind of need to to trust going into this thing. So countercurrents, currents, all this stuff, was it bright, sunny, shiny, flat sea and <laughs> you didn't know? Or was it, to get, take us there for a minute. <laughs> it was, it was a bit of everything. Um, when we started at 6.30, just kind of the sun had come up about half an hour before. So I did almost the entire swim in the day. I had about the last three hours after the sun sets, it started to get darker. Really, really sunny, really gorgeous weather. The water as you kind of leave Guernsey and you're navigating around the Channel Islands is very rocky. Lots of kind of small islets, lots of um, smaller islands, submerged rocks. So the first couple of hours, first two or three hours, so choppy, so, so, so choppy. And then I think just through the day, it was a very gradual thing, but it just got 
calmer and calmer and calmer which you know as you start to get longer through your swim it's like you definitely don't want it going in the opposite direction but it got to kind of hour what 13 14 um, and my partner Will got into kayak alongside me and it's one of my like defining memories of the swim is I can remember seeing his reflection in the water because it was just that calm and you know and and then the sunset and it was this beautiful it's one of those cartoon sunsets there was pinks and oranges and golds and yellows and it was all reflected on the water so you could barely see where the sky stopped and the water started yeah it was beautiful it was such a beautiful swim that's awesome any sea life anything under the water could you see much a lot of jellyfish, <laughs> not, not much else. I'm, I'm terrible with jellyfish. I will, I will probably like a couple of strokes of water polo front crawl with my head out the water, just screaming <laughs> so that my crew knows they need to feel appropriately sympathetic for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've always thought as I, I played water polo for just a little bit too, but I always thought it was like, well, a a great application of swimming skills because I was kind of the middle of the pack kind of swimmer growing up too. But then also, the two together bridge perfectly into open water swimming because you're totally comfortable picking your head up, putting it back down, you know, like doing all the yeah, avoiding jellyfish. <laughs> you pick one up, throw it across the... <laughs> I find the egg beater leg kick helps a lot. I, th- I find the, again, the confidence, the ability to trust yourself to, I know whatever the water is like, whatever the conditions are, I can tread water and get whatever feed in that I need to get down is real skill. I take it for granted too. I, I forget that that's for some people that, you know, like learning to learning to get a feed is, is its own part of their training. Um, it's an important thing to remember. I think not even just the learning to do it, but I'm guessing you probably find the same that it's not taxing like you're always told it in water pen like your egg beater is your active recovery like don't expect any rest this is your rest and so I can happily kick water and recover while I'm doing it and that's definitely something I take for granted that for other people that is a workout in itself that's extra stress on the body stress on their swim yeah 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 exactly yeah, and that stress, you know, like it cuts into the confidence. And so then they start to have little cracks in your trust. And so it's, but I'd say just so knowing that about yourself, just for those listeners out there, it's like knowing what your little weaknesses are, you build that into your training plan. And that's, those are the little bits that you work on. It's like, okay, so I need to practice being stationary in the deep end of a pool <laughs> and holding a water bottle. And I think that would actually make more sense to me than doing uh, a 60k week <laughs> in some senses it's like finding your weaknesses and focusing on them and and one of those you know making sure your stroke is as efficient as possible is always my the drum I'm beating over here <laughs> <laughs> I think that is something that's missed out I guess a lot in when people talk about kind of the toolkits for 
marathon swimming as opposed to open water swimming. There's so much focus on like on sighting. You've got to be able to sight and you've got to be able to swim straight. You don't have to sight when you've got a boat. I know. I love but, it. Yeah. <laughs> but you do have to be able to stop and drink. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, so you had already had the channel book. You did Guarantee to France. Second fastest time ever? Female or time overall? Um, no, so, uh, Jersey to France, second fastest female time. Guernsey to France, um, kind of course first of um, men or women. So Yay! It, you got to got plant lots. the flag. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was really, it was so nice to be able to say like, yeah, first person, not first woman, first person. <laughs> yeah, which um, which did get matched uh, this July. Uh, a gentleman called Guy Moore uh, went over and planted the flag for first man. So, so it's now now been matched, which That's is really very really cool. Nice. Very cool. But you had the channel booked when you did that, right? So when was that? Uh, so channel was September of that year. So I had oh, that year. peak into June. Yep, and then July, August, and then straight into the channel that September which I think in, in retrospect, I think that was, that was a bit much, you know, I, I talk to a lot of swimmers now and, you know, so many swimmers on your podcast as well, who seem to be able to like crank out the big swims after big swims, that two in one year, that was too much for me. I found a personal limit there and two big swims was was good. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Do you, like emotionally, physically, all of it? I think it was more emotional, emotional and mental, because physically I could do it. Um, physically, I, I did the channel. I did it in 13 hours, 13 hours, 20. Perfectly respectable time in not exactly the nicest conditions on the day. I was, <laughs> I was throwing up and, and things were not going well south um, oh, for geez. about like a solid nine hours of the swim, but oh, I did no. it and I wow. was fine. But in contrast to how fondly I remember Jersey to France and Guernsey to France and how wonderful those swims were and how happy I was on them, the English Channel was a serious like... <sighs> I am never doing that again. <laughs> you know, I just, I, whether it was something in the training, whether I didn't allow myself to recover after Guernsey and then work back up to the English channel, whether it was a motivation thing that I never kind of got my head back in the game after the first big swim, but I just wasn't in it for the English channel. I spent those entire 13 hours entire 13 hours talking myself out of quitting oh wow yeah it sounds like everything was going wrong to you (laughs) (laughs) I mean yeah everything was going wrong but then was it self-imposed because of how I was feeling on the day because I got to the end of the swim and I was perfectly fine the next day I wasn't aching I wasn't hurt I wasn't injured I was more than capable of it I was just in the wrong mindset I was just in my own head and so did that affect how I took on my nutrition you know if I'd been more like 
yay, it's feed time. I love liquid carbohydrates. <laughs> then maybe I wouldn't have thrown it back up. But I wasn't. I was like, right, time to feed. I will not tell my crew how much I want to quit. I'm not, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. They'll be so disappointed in me. Just take the bottle, just drink it. Just don't look at them. Just carry on. And the mental difference between those two swims is astounding. It really was. Did you have any of the throwing up and anything in that in Guernsey to France? No, no, not really. I, I don't think so. Like when it was really choppy, there was a couple of bits where I took a 30 second freed break just to make sure it stayed where it was supposed to be instead of a 15 or 20 second feed break. But I snacked on solids in, in Guernsey to France. I got little mini chocolate bars as a treat and it was absolutely fine. So yeah, I think for me, it, it really was the the mentor just <laughs> just not getting my gut in the yeah, game. Yeah, interesting. Then that was last year. That was last September. What did, did you just swim at all this year? I took a smaller year this year because it, 2021 had been such a big year. 16 hours Guernsey to France, 13 and a half hours English Channel. I knew I wanted to do something big again, but I didn't want to risk burning out or losing the enjoyment that I'd found from the sport and that I'd found from spending so much time in the water. So this year was all about like smaller races. It was just smaller races around the UK, just have a, a bit of fun. I did think, you know, little local races. We've got Thames Marathon. We've got some downriver races. I did a couple of the BLDSA, the British Long Distance Swimming Association events. And then kind of my highlight of the year, I went and did the Zurich Lake Marathon with my partner, Will, kayaking for me again. Um, and that was 26K. So it's, it's still a fair go, but it was, I didn't really train for it as solidly as I did for what I was seeing as the big events last year. So yeah, just a a year to kind of find the fun in it again, find the enjoyment, just mentally let myself relax up because training for the big ones is a lot. It can put so much on your time, on your lifestyle. It's It's such a huge commitment and I needed a year away from that. Yeah. I guess for me, it's more like there's this mental commitment to it. I mean, I definitely, the training, it's there too. It's just kind of, I think it's still different for me than it is for a lot of people, how I, how I do my training. But that still sounds like a lot of fun. What was kind of your favorite or highlight of the, I mean, as you said, like that Zurich was maybe the longest, but did you have any other highlights in those other, like just fun little touring around swims? I love that. Yeah, I think my favorite was... Um, BLDSA Torbay, which is right down on the south coast of England. It's a little kind of cove race. So you start on one side of a bay and you swim 7K across, you turn around a boy, you just swim straight back. Oh, that sounds fun. And it's one kayaker to one swimmer. It's just so beautiful. I'm such a sucker for the beautiful events. But like it was down in Cornwall. So 
essentially Mediterranean of England. It's like really clear, crystal, um, blue sea. All of the jellyfish were suitably far below <laughs> me. Um, it was sunny. Like a couple of my friends were down there swimming. Um, Will was in the kayak next to me. Will did take a, an unfortunate tumble and <laughs> lost, his, <laughs> lost his mobile and lost his sunglasses halfway back. Um, so maybe not his favorite race of yeah. the year. <laughs> And yeah, it was 14K. So it was like the, for me, a perfect little sprint. Like, and because it was a race, you could see the other competitors. So then Will and I were doing tactics and we were saying, right, the second place woman, she's she's right there. If you can just do a couple of extra seconds per hundred, let's, let's turn up the pace. We'll feed you every, every 30 minutes. You're going to get a bit of extra caffeine. And yeah, <laughs> it was just so much fun. What was Zurich like? Interestingly, Zurich was another one where I didn't quite have my head in the game and it really affected how my swim went. I was on my period, which I think really did affect me, which is why I've started, like I'm tracking it so religiously now around my training to see how it affects my training, how it affects my the mental aspects of how I'm feeling. But yeah, Zurich, again, it, it was one of those things. It was, I was fit. I was fit and I was strong. And the swim itself was fine. But I was just in such a rotten mood. It's just, again, one of those swims where you're just going just feed to feed. Like, I know, I know I can do it. Damned if I'm pulling out now, but oh my goodness, do I want to. Was that the last swim of the year? Um, no, it wasn't, thankfully. I, uh, and I think if it had been, I would have had to find something else and end on a higher note because, yeah, <laughs> just um, you, I didn't want to end on a mental low note like that. But no, I did um, Doc to Doc 15K in London, which was just is three five kilometer loops in one of the swimming areas in London and lovely. Lovely, amazing. It was fantastic swim. It was a race again. So it was so nice being with other swimmers. It was really well organized. I saw a couple of friends and um, got to know a couple of people that I'd been speaking to um, over social media. And it was really cool swimming next to a, an airport with all the planes taking off and landing next to you. So uh, a high note to, to end the year. Yeah, yeah, cool. And then what are you, what are you thinking about next? <laughs> Ooh, I have signed up for a Lake Geneva solo next August. The signature, right? <laughs> the signature, yes, yeah, 70K. So uh, that is all of my training focus now is working towards that. That was, again, that was kind of a, a manic impulse sign up after the English channel. I was like, yeah, this will be fun. This will be great. This is what we enjoy doing. So, yeah, I'm, I'm building up to that now, which is terrifying. Yeah, I'm really nervous about it. But then after a, a short year where I knew I had the confidence in my body to be able to do everything I threw at it. It's kind of nice to be on that precipice again, to have that mental edge of, 
yeah, no, I I really need to train for this. I need to analyze my weaknesses. I need to work out what's in my toolkit and what's not in my toolkit because I'm not sure I'm going to make this otherwise. So, yeah, I've got a little counter on the front page of my phone, which just says, oh, no, (laughs) 265 days left. (laughs) Wow. Wow. So what's your window for that? That is the 7th to 10th of August. So the peak water temperature, decently long days, and it's a full moon. So <laughs> I'm gonna because I'm gonna have to be swimming overnight. So um, yeah, make sure I get a decent bit of light at night as well. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find you enjoy the the lakes as well as the sea, or do you find a difference there for you? I think I've started tending a lot more towards lake swims. I would go as far as to say I don't actually like sea swimming. <laughs> the jellyfish. Oh, jellyfish. Jellyfish can just can just do one. I'm I'm not brave. I am I do not have a high pain tolerance. I will never be contemplating the North Channel. I will not be going near Hawaii. Um, (laughs) Monterey Bay, no, no, thank you. I'm not here for jellyfish and salt tongue. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) The people who can do 40, 50, 60, you know, all these massive swims in the sea – no, <laughs> not, not for me. <laughs> I've done I've done a little bit of sea swimming. I've done a little bit of lake swimming. And I am going for lakes, lakes, lakes only. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that is a, super exciting. What's the trip like for you to get to Switzerland? Not too bad. It should be about like a, an hour, hour and a half plane, I think. It's, it's like... A country. You just have to cross France, really. Right, right. <laughs> so not too bad. I mean, it's it's very near Zurich in Switzerland, and my partner and I drove for Zurich. We did a little road trip across France and took the kayak with us. So it's not too far at all, which is yeah, quite a nice thing to have such a terrifying swim virtually right on your doorstep. <laughs> That's really exciting. What's your what do you feel like is, are the points of your, any training points you want to tell us about? <laughs> like high points, low points, what you're looking forward to, dreading? I don't know. I mean, I guess what am I, what am I dreading? I'm, I'm really not sure how I'm going to handle the, the sleep, the sleep deprivation. If it goes really, really well, you know, if everything is 100% fantastic on the day, it should probably take me about 25, 26 hours. And if things go not so well, then I think it's probably going to be towards like 33, 34 hours. I don't even think I've ever stayed awake that long before. In contrast to the swims I've trained for before, the toolkit I'm going to need is completely different. It's how do I train kind of going into a night swim when you're already that sleep deprived how do I train what if I'm feeling nauseous 
20 or 25 hours into the swim, right, okay, we're going to have to start training solid foods. I don't think I'm going to be able to rely on carbohydrates. So it's it's been a real learning curve of completely reevaluating what are my strengths, what are my weaknesses, what are the things I don't even know anything about when viewed through this <laughs> completely different environment. So I've been kind of, yeah, going around just asking lots of different, very accomplished swimmers kind of their thoughts and what they do for a swim like this, if they've done something like it, how they trained for it. And I'm just kind of trying to cherry pick the little bits that work for me. The sleep is one that I zeroed in on. And Mark Sheridan, who you've, uh, you have interviewed before, um, I've been training with him for kind of year off and on now. And one of his top swims that he kind of recommended in training for a swim like that was this um, 26 hour and on every hour you swim a mile. So it's not continuous. It's not a a marathon swim. You're in and out and in and out, but it is training your ability to swim over that duration. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's going to be one I'm signing up for next year. Um, I have a, a list on my phone of like every single time someone has mentioned a solid food, like in passing or in training or on podcasts. I'm like, right, that goes on the list. We'll be trialing that next year. Yeah. And it's just kind of trying to cherry pick bits and pieces from as many people as possible and find out what works for me. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess going back to the, duration thing. I think that's a I, one one thing that's interesting too about that type of swim is the in and in and out. I've done a couple of them. It's a is there's a certain discomfort even <laughs> just, just forcing yourself to get back in every time when you don't want to and counting it down. Like it's all just the mental training part, you know, it's very, very applicable and useful, I would say. <laughs> so kudos for picking that one up. I think that'll serve you really well. How do you plan to test out some of the feed kind of stuff? I'll probably just end up testing them on training swims. I try and make sure that all of my training swims, I take on nutrition as if I would in the actual swim, in the actual event, so that I'm practicing it. So I'm kind of, there's a fair amount of kind of scientific literature that says you can train your gut so that you can go from kind of absorbing 60 grams of carbohydrate an hour, which is kind of your average intake. And if you're having, you know, a couple of hundred mils of CMP or Maxim or whatever your favorite is, that's about what you're taking in. If you train that, you can work up to 80 grams, 100 grams, so that you've got a little bit more surplus. So I'll probably just be trying to train my stomach and train my gut to absorb and work on solid foods in that same way. So it's, it's all just practice, it's practice and practice and practice. Yeah, which takes time. <laughs> like you said, that's kind of an intimidating <laughs> part about it, right? Yeah. Very cool. I am super excited to check back in on you and find out <laughs> how your preparations are going for Lake Geneva. Yeah, yeah it's going to be going to be an interesting one. 
Yeah, no, I love your approach, though. It's very uh, methodical and, you know, scientific. And I think that's uh, it's a very smart way to do it. I think that's one of the things I would say I love about training for big swims like this is being methodical about it. Like I love writing out my training plan at the beginning of a season. That's probably far, less, far more fun than actually doing the training plan. But yeah, I I love the the logic of setting up that plan of the the incremental progression and and the kind of progressive overload, the increased volume, making sure you give yourself enough time to rest. So yeah, the planning and planning the training, that's been my favorite bit so far. The the 5 a.m. starts less so. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story today, Amy. It's awesome to meet you and hear about it. And you too, Shannon. Thank you so much for having me on. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you were inspired by even just a moment of this story, please share it with a friend. You never know what might push someone out of their comfort zone so that they can find out what they're capable of. And please leave a review with your podcast provider. It truly helps others discover the raw and honest stories of these amazing endurance swimmers. Thanks for listening.